sharing huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite of the conditions he won in Lords. Rain soaked Lords. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time of Lawrence Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. And we are back. Thanks so much for downloading another episode of Moving the Needle podcast. Cheers for the ratings, reviews, and personal messages you've been sending it. I certainly appreciate that. Wow, what a response to the Martin Sonnerstrom episode. So if you haven't listened to that one, make sure you go back, you download that, and you listen to it. Hey, and thanks to Alan Mulway. The last episode we had, really, really inspiring to any level of rider. He's one of the best mountain bike coaches there is. Guys, without further ado, let's move on to this week's episode. None other than Tracy Mosley. She's a seven-time national British downhill champion. She's a world downhill champion. And when she went on to enduro, she won three enduro world titles. And she's so humble about what she achieved. So guys, enjoy this episode with a former teammate of mine, Tracy Mosley. I think I'll have to wait till uh, Toby's gone to school before I've got time to <laughs> just listen to anything like that. <laughs> there's, there's no free time now. No, he's just like on the run constantly. So it's just like, watch your back, chasing, making sure he's not going to jump off out of a tree <laughs> like, and kill himself. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I heard a quote and they were like, parenting is basically trying to make sure your child doesn't kill himself for 18 years. Yeah. And and mind you, there are a lot of ways they'll try yeah. and kill themselves. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely pretty fearless and mad. So That's awesome. Be interesting. All right, well, I'm lucky enough to get a little bit of quiet time with Tracy Mosley. She's a new parent and got a lot of other things that we'll get into. So I'm really feeling pretty privileged to catch up with a former teammate of mine. And looking at all the results, I feel almost the goat of a female... Uh, gravity racing. So, Tracy, how are we doing today? Good, thank you. Yeah, really good to be here and good to have, catch up with you again. It's been a while. It has. It's been been all too long, and I know a lot has changed for you. And I think it's a perfect time to to jump into that. You've uh, had many firsts in your life, and uh, first time parent now as well. It, it must be interesting. You were you were always methodical about your preparation and training, and even scheduling this call. I could see you were there was this exact time limit, and if I wasn't going to fit in, we were going to have to <laughs> reschedule to the next week. So I respect that. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um that kind of whole processing and organization of life has just continued. And I think I'm, I feel like I'm pushing the boundaries right now, trying to be able to still be a full-time kind of parent and not wanting to kind of send Toby off to the daycare or to nursery. We want to, James and I want to like bring him up ourselves and enjoy the time. But I also don't want to let go of my own kind of work, bike riding myself and life. So it's, it's quite the juggling act, quite a juggling act. And um, certainly getting less sleep now than I ever did, even when he was little, actually, to be fair. He was awakening all the time. And now he sleeps through the night, but I'm just knackered. <laughs> so the seven hours, the eight hours I get, I'm like, it's amazing. But no, it's it's been awesome. And um, I'm enjoying the juggling act. I think these years, you know, he's now just turned two. He's into everything. He's on his balance bike. We're going walking. We're doing everything that we dreamt of doing as a kind of a little family unit now. So super cool just in, enjoying it and taking it day by day sounds like an, a big juggling act and it, and it also sounds like you you're always been a high achiever from when you started riding and maybe it was something you did for fun and now it, and then it turned into a profession but it sounds like you're taking that attitude to be a hands-on parent and that maybe comes from from racing like doing things right yeah i think so there's always that like wanting to make sure he's eating well and we're giving him maximum of our attention and James does say we are making it hard for ourselves like you know most people will you know barrel them off to nursery or daycare as soon as they can and go back to work and we're kind of juggling that because I think as well we're older parents we've waited until we were both in our 40s we kind of we wanted to have kids but we kind of made it I guess we've made it fit in right or wrong everyone has their own opinion on that but now I think we're older that we can actually appreciate it and we are loving the fact that we've got a little a little human that we can interact with and create and I don't want to send him off to daycare and someone else to have enjoy those the times when he says the first thing or does something funny or you know we're we're really enjoying that so we're definitely kind of trying to do a good job I guess but we'll, we'll see you'll be able to tell us in a few years time if he's a tear away or whether he's a nice young man we'll soon see <laughs> I, uh, I've been asked about parenthood before about Danny and I said I'm not the authority to speak about anything so I don't think it'll be fair to me to comment I'm still a, 
pretty much a child at, at heart and, and growing up slowly. And it's it's great to catch up on, on things maybe away from the bicycle and, and, and we'll get to that. And for the listener that maybe is newer to to racing and, and maybe has got into the sport after you retired, can you just give a quick background of, of how you got into the sport and, and we'll get to your successes in a bit? Yes, yeah, so I mean, I started racing um, following my older brother, Ed, who was already kind of, well, we just grew up as kids riding bikes on the farm. He then started racing mountain bikes, um, 92, 93, 94-ish around then. Um, I was about 13, 14, and just followed him to those races, just racing cross-country. on. And then I was kind of like the lazy kid that enjoyed the downhill bits but didn't enjoy going uphill. So as soon as there was some downhill racing starting, that's the thing that kind of appealed to me. And Ed, my brother, was the one that really encouraged me to do it because I used to ride with him and his mates all the time. And he'd be like, you're pretty good for a girl, you know. Shouldn't say that, should you, these days. But this is the reality. Of- I, don't, I don't know what you should say. I'm waiting for you to say the first thing and then we can segue into that topic. <laughs> oh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a firm believer, you know, that he, he's kind of right in a way. He just said, you know, you're riding as good as my mates are. In fact, you're putting some of them to shame. He's like, you should go and race. He said, you, you'd beat all the girls there are in the UK. So it took me a while to kind of take that kind of lead, I guess. But eventually I did start racing in 94, 95, just as a junior. And just as Daniel was really kind of starting to kick off in the UK, I raced on a, you know, what is now a, a cross-country race bike. You know, it was a, a rigid back end, a tiny, tiny, probably 50, 100 mil, 80 mil fork. I don't even know, like my last time thing that barely worked. Um, and that was my downhill bike to let bar ends on. And for those first couple of years, that was our bikes. And then slowly, the first kind of actual downhill bike I got was um, a Cannondale uh, head shock. Then it got onto the kind of the, the full downhill bike. So those early days of downhill were super interesting um, in terms of development. And for me as a rider as well, I just then progressed with the sport as it became more and more kind of, I guess, competitive and separate from cross country. Downhill really became its own own, own discipline. Um, and I raced alongside the rest of my school, went to university, did a degree in human biology. And then at that point, when I finished my degree, it was like, OK, this is the chance to now try and give this a go as a full time kind of career, I guess. And even at that point, I felt like oh, I'll give it a go for a few years and just see that was in 2000. So, yeah, to then have like, well, what is 20 years since then of um, not racing full time, but certainly the 15 years of that was a full time professional racer um, and now still working within the bike industry. It's been a, a super long, super successful and amazing career and opportunity that i've had to to ride bikes and travel the world yeah awesome when you look back at it like that yeah and 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 taking it all the way back to you grew up on a farm and it and it seems like that springboarded you into maybe a bit of enjoying the adrenaline you said from the beginning you liked the downhill side and and i've seen some interviews you spoke about being young and being able to drive the tractors and it's almost that old school farm life where you you grow up earlier doing adrenaline filled things or being well i would think naughty on a farm yeah, I think so. I mean, we we grew up building what what now you would be North Shore. You know, I had no idea what North Shore was when I was you know eight, but my brother was putting planks up on bricks and challenging me to ride up along them as long as I could and drop off the other side. And you know, we we'd play in the barns. We played all sorts of sports. You know, table tennis, tennis. Everything was super competitive, and everything was just like you know, it was a it was a game as well. So biking was one of the other things we did. You know, we rode around the farm. We made tracks. We had some steep woods that we did ridiculous stuff. Even now I go out there and think, oh, my God, I rode down that thing on a 21-inch hardtail, my brother's bike. You know, it's a steep shoot. And we just, as kids, were out there playing in the woods, and that's what we did. So I think there was always that, certainly for me, super competitive element with my brother as well. He was all, you know, he was super talented. And actually, Ed raced some World Cups, and it was in his own right, was a really good mountain biker, and still is now. But for me, it was always like I was trying to beat him. I was trying to beat my brother at everything I did. So I had that, like someone to look up to and to push those limits and I think that always helps as well when you're young especially as a as a girl to have that role model and have someone to to try and be as good as or you know kind of look up to so yeah the farm life and my and the older brother I think for me were the, the key in kind of not being afraid of stuff and just playing on bikes and playing on bikes is where I think skill comes from and that's what I spent my whole whole childhood doing was just messing around on bikes without even realizing i was ever doing it for something that could have been useful for a career in mountain biking so yeah good fun times yeah two things come come to mind so was it a conscious competitiveness with your brother or or what was it back back then because you you mentioned like wanting to do as well as him or him pushing you kind of like rachel has g and dan like is it a natural thing you also like 
hey, if I can no, beat these guys, I can me. beat others. That was just my make, my makeup. Like, actually, even mum reminded me the other day when she's seen now Toby, my son, saying how I used to be with my brother was like, I had to be him. I had to, like, I never would give in. Ed always just be like, anything for an easy life. Whereas I was always the one that, like, wanted to have the last word or have the last say and was, like, I think just tough when it came to playing sport because I would never give in. <laughs> so I think that's just my own mentality rather than Ed is actually probably the opposite. He's the mellow one. So it's just something that's ingrained with me and I've always had that and that's what's driven me to to, to do what I've done in the sport. And even now and trying to fit in everything I'm trying to do now, it's just it's my own burning madness that's inside I guess that you can't change I don't think yeah is it almost there's a pro and a con to that because you try to fit everything in or try to be good at everything and sometimes like you said it's a juggling act now yeah exactly sometimes I need to sleep for a few days <laughs> when it all implodes <laughs> <laughs> well I mean I think you've been a, a an inspiration to everyone and, and you mentioned that coming up the ranks and you've mentioned saying you didn't look at yourself as you, you said girl and, and, and you were the best for, for a long time. But it is known as a male dominated industry in terms of sheer numbers, if we if we look at it like that. Yeah, what, for sure. What is I, I've heard you saying you didn't really look at it like that at all. You were just getting on with your preparation and your results. What was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, this is the question that I've been asked so much, and certainly in more recent times, is that, you know, how did you how did you survive in a male-dominated sport? Do you feel like you were always kind of like, you know, a little bit downtrodden, or was it tough? And if I'm honest, I feel some of it's been, I've been fortunate that, thankfully, I felt like I was just one of, one of the lads, I've one of whoever, I just felt like we're all one. And for me growing up, I rode with my brother, I rode with the boys. I was just one of them. I didn't see myself as a female, them as a male. There was no difference. We were all just kids hanging out and playing on bikes. And that's the mentality that I started with. And that's what I, I kind of took. And obviously, yes, we, we race different categories. Our strengths, our abilities, our fear, those things are always going to be different. We, when we're different species. You know, we can't ever deny that. But the way I looked at it and the way I kind of went about it was I just wanted to be one of one of the guys that race bikes, you know, guys and girls together. And I think I felt like I got a lot of respect for, for not kind of like asking to be treated differently or wanting to be. And I wanted to earn my, my place in the sport by showing my commitment, my dedication, my ability to try and put in the hard work. You know, we all put in the same hard work and I wanted to get the same results. And that was my big focus was I wanted to be the best that I could be. I wasn't worried if it was whether it was the girls or the boys, I just always wanted to push myself. And I really enjoyed being able to compare times with the guys and be able to say, and it was pretty cool when I beat some guys because it was like, you know, they're bigger and stronger and they don't have that same kind of inbuilt fear factor. Um, but I just, I never got wrapped up in that whole kind of inequality of it. And for sure, I think I was fortunate that I was always treated really, really well. Um, the teams that I've ridden for, the, my teammates, I just felt like I always got along with everyone and I benefited a lot from having the guys on the team to follow and you know to you guys to be able to walk the course with look at lines discuss things and just got my head down and cracked on and I think that's something now even with young athletes that I work with I really try and always just say you know you earn that respect you earn your you earn your place and you earn your time by putting your head down and getting on with hard work and not necessarily talking much too much about stuff before you've kind of earned that place um and that's always been my kind of philosophy with it and yeah I know you know, there's been definitely pay's been harder contracts to get in terms of money wise. The girls aren't earning as much as the, the guys. And, you know, the, it's it's not right. But we also have to be realistic about it. And the amount of people, the amount of guys out there racing and riding bikes is far greater than the amount of girls doing that. So I've always kind of been realistic about that and said, well, I can't change that. It's not my fault. But let's just do the best I can do and do my part rather than getting completely hung up and worried about that kind of aspect of it so that's been my kind of way I've gone about it and it's it's worked well for me I've enjoyed it I've been respected and um still enjoying it now yeah it seems like it's a really uh, a way of not comparing yourself to others whether it's gender or category or anything you seem to just focus on yourself and, and do as good as you can and that I mean what else can you control except yourself Exactly. So I, yeah. that seems like a brilliant lesson if that's what you're instilling with these people you're you're mentoring. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing is that you you can only the only controllables you have is what you can control, and that's the thing. If you go out there and you feel like you've given yourself the best opportunity to do your best, and you've given everyone a 
and a kind of an impression of yourself that you're happy with then that's that's the most important thing and I often see you know kids trying to asking for too much too soon or expecting too much and I just feel like you know in, in any way in life you kind of have to you have to earn your stripes you have to take those steps up the ladder you put the work in you earn respect you you know you respect your elders you all those kind of things and you just chip away and you'll be rewarded in the long term that's always been my kind of sorry trace I've, I've also got a fur baby sorry about that we'll pick it up so i have to apologize to trace because uh, my uh, little youngster dog has come in the room and made a noise and we thought maybe trace's little youngster would interrupt the podcast so so one one tracy zero andrew but um you you were saying about how you you feel you have to earn things and it's step by step and i think that that is brilliant and it seems maybe it's the social media thing maybe it's something else i don't know what your view is why that seems to be changing that people kind of want the sponsorship first say before the result or they want you know kind of it it seems a bit backwards but maybe that's just the social media portraying that i'm not sure yeah, I think social media has a huge, a huge kind of impact on sport now and athletes and 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 young young people particularly. You know, their lives are completely, completely intertwined with with our phones, with our the way we communicate. Everything we do now revolves around our phones and our media. And that wasn't there was nothing like that for me when I grew up. And certainly, even in the main years that I was racing downhill, you know. I had a phone, but I barely used the thing, you know, I had one of those big, you know, it's just different now. And racing was all about results. You wait to see your results come out on the back of cycling weekly, you know, to see the actual, the times and stuff. There was none of this instant gratification. And, and actually now we're seeing people being able to have successful careers in sport without even racing, you know, and actually that's, that's a cool aspect in its own right. And I think it's really quite cool that it's not just about racing anymore. And people, I always kind of said that the best bike riders aren't necessarily always ever going to be known if it's just about racing because often the best bike riders can't necessarily race you know they just don't have that ability to to do that perfect run and have that mentality but they're amazingly talented on a bike um and it's it's nice that those guys can still have an outlet i think it's great but i think it has changed the expectations of of young people particularly and if you know if they can be seen to be out there getting the followers and getting all the kind of um the fame i guess from social media then they feel like they deserve something and they create maybe an attitude around themselves that possibly wouldn't have happened if they didn't have that outlet um they didn't have to kind of put a face and a some words behind some of it either you could just live behind this shadow of a phone and um the images that you can create and the world you can portray by it. it's it's kind of a false world in many ways whereas racing and results were very much black and white you know you either went fast or you didn't and that's that's what you knew um, whereas now you can edit and you can do amazing stuff and you can do things 10 times before you get it right and you don't always see the, the true story so I think yeah social media's got its I think we all know it's got its great great advantages but also some big disadvantages I think and it's definitely a different time to be a, an athlete now and if I'm honest I'm quite thankful that I, I've kind of had my time because I think it's hard to balance life now you know having to feel like you you need to race, you need to train, you need results, but you also need to spend a lot of time investing in your fan base and your followers and what you need to do to to increase that. It's um yeah, it's a tough time I think for for kids now getting into any sport to be quite honest. And and it is this has come up multiple times in the podcast already and it seems like an ongoing theme and maybe some topic I have to throw into all of them is the social media, the changing of the times and it is great that you can do other avenues of racing, isn't it? Not or other avenues of riding, not just racing, because there are many riders that you look at them and you go, they are gonna, they're gonna do so well this weekend, and then it comes to the race time, they just can't quite withstand the pressure, or their preparation wasn't correct. So I think it is cool, but you've got to be wary of it, especially if you are a racer and and all sorts of other things. But then talk a bit about the mental side. You are one of the most successful downhill races of your time and then transition to um, enduro which is amazing at how successful you were able to do both but talk about the mental toughness you need and and maybe some of the strategy used in downhill racing yeah I think I think that's the one thing for me that actually I found possibly hard in downhill even though I was super successful over my career I always felt like even I was one of those riders that often rode better in practice than I actually did in my race run. You know, I think sometimes I was always disappointed that my race run was 
was never the best run I had down the hill. And I think that's that's the case for many, many people. Um, but thankfully, I managed to be able to at least get something that was decent enough um, on race day. But I think the mental side of downhill particularly was always the toughest. Um, keeping that positivity, I think not being swayed. I can see people now, you can tell the weekend just goes one thing happens, it's not great. And then that weekend, boom, it's gone. It's gone down the drain because one thing's just taken them off that path. And I think it takes a lot. And certainly for me, I always had to keep kind of being aware of either people that necessarily were just had bad energy around me or situations, conversations that you get yourself into and being fully aware of all of those things and just thinking, okay, right, that's not healthy. Let's bring it back to where I need to be and cut that. It's, I guess, lots of people now and James my husband will say that you have to be selfish when it comes to being a good successful in sport and I've never thought of it like that but I think you actually are and I feel like a lot of my life has been lived quite selfishly and that if you want to be successful you need to do stuff that's going to help you and sometimes it might mean cutting off someone or someone that's a friend of yours but you know that actually their input that on race weekend isn't isn't what you need to be successful so I think you you one you need to know what it is that makes you tick and makes you stay on that focused path and you have to be selfish enough and strong enough in your your I guess focus and being able to think okay I I can say something to them if it's not nice but actually I want to I want to win so much that I'm prepared to to be that selfish person and do what's right just for me and not worry about what everyone else thinks um so I think that's for me was always my strategy I guess was just knowing what I needed to do and doing it and if it meant you know, missing being going out for dinner with someone and being social and not seeing catching up with a mate, then I was prepared to do it because I wanted to win so bad. Um, and I think often people will struggle with to be, being that kind of one directional, I guess, and fully committed to one path. But for me, I, I think it was from growing up, I had this such a such an inbuilt desire to to want to be successful that I was prepared to to take those kind of risks and maybe miss out on the fun stuff in life to be able to succeed um and I think that's yeah that's been my secret to success I guess so sacrificing things you felt that would derail you from that path you on and it just came to you now if you you have to be selfish but it's almost like if someone was building a business and that decision wasn't good for the business and they did a certain thing you wouldn't really judge them because you were they were trying to get the business to go forward or make profit but now as an athlete you're called selfish even though you're trying to get the athlete as the business to perform and you can only say yes to so many things that are going to keep it on the path it's really interesting I, I do think you have to be selfish and you sometimes get a bad rep as a person when you're trying to go down a path to get the best result possible um, so it's an interesting way of looking at it. and have you ever thought about the ego that's involved the ego you need almost you know if we all have an ego and, and certain of that helps you get to the top but also too much of that can bring you down. Have you ever thought about that in sport? Not really. I think, again, I've never kind of overthought or really analysed other people's approaches too much. I very much have just kind of been quite self-centred in what I've done. But I'm also really conscious that I've always, I'm quite an inward person. Like James will say, even when I've won races, that you wouldn't know you wouldn't know I'm happy in some ways like that's not to say that I'm not moping out obviously I'm happy you can see it I'm going to smile and I'm going to be happy but I'm not going to be like ramming it down everyone's throat oh do you know how amazing I did and I won't talk about my run and like oh that was I did this and they I was really good like I'm not that kind of person I'll I'll be happy inside and that's what even now James said are you happy inside I'm like yeah massively happy and like I think it's because sometimes when you have goals that you've been trying to achieve for so long when you actually achieve it, it's almost like a, a relief. Yeah. Of like, whew, it's like almost like a bit of a, I can now like take a breath. I've done it. I've achieved it. Whereas that's not an outward celebration. So for people on the outside, it seems like, you know, you should be like having a massive party every night and going crazy. But like for me, I'm totally, totally so happy, but I just can't, just don't show it. And I think I've always been like that. And I've never been one to kind of want to talk about and shout about my success. It's like, I, I've done it because, for me not because for everyone else so I think that's hopefully enabled me to be quite selfish but also not a horrible person because I'm I've tried to be quite humble I guess in in doing well at stuff and not like telling everyone about it um and that's just the way I've always done it you certainly have let your writing and your results do the talking and, and I think that you're such a inspiration and a role model there's certain people that are 
in the limelight, but they're just not good role models. That's not what they're there to be. They're there to win races. And you, you seem to be able to do both. And and I think equally, looking back now, I was trying to think of things as teammates with you and walking the course. We were all a unit, which was amazing. And, and no one thought of anyone any different, which helped the team. But I also remember you were so good when the race didn't go your way. As much as you were not shouting from the rafters that you'd won a race, you were also not you were good to be around even if you had a bad race. And that doesn't always happen with athletes. You know, it is, it's a really hard thing to bounce back from. And maybe talk us about winning the world champs finally as an elite, because you did have a chance to do it as a junior. And did that hold big motivation for you to kind of keep you in the sport, having the failure so early on? Massively. I think my world champs as a junior was like 95, no, 97 it would have been. Um, and I remember missing out going to Worlds in 96 and it was so 97 was my last year of like being a junior to go to world champs. And, and I guess I was still really relatively only been in the sport a couple of years in terms of, you know, doing nationals. I think I've only done a couple of international races. So to, to go there and expect to win probably was a little bit arrogant, but I guess I was within shot, you know, I was going fast enough and I knew that, on that actual race day, I caught up and caught up my competitor in front, crashed trying to pass them, um, lost so much time and still ended up second. So I knew on that day, like if I hadn't have had those holdups, I probably could have won. There's always, how many times in your career do you have that? If only, if that hadn't happened, if I hadn't crashed, well, yeah, of course, if I hadn't crashed, you would have won. That's like, the whole idea is you don't crash. You know? So you, you can't ever kind of hold on to those stories. But I guess for me, I was young. It was that first big race and the first chance of, of those rainbow stripes. And I think that rainbow stripe thing is, is such an iconic um, part of cycling as a whole. And I think that's why for me, it was such an amazing goal to have, um, having got so close or felt like I'd got so close, even though obviously I was far off um, as a junior, it really did sit with me. And I was like, I'm going to win those damn things at some point. Like, and I had that as, as such a motivation for so long to the point where it almost became actually I was a bit <laughs> following that same path as poor Steve Pete that actually maybe it's never going to happen and the more you focus on it the, the least likely it seemed to be happening um but thankfully uh you know for whatever reason luck or or good or hard work eventually did come my way but that was those junior days definitely gave me that that motivation and that desire and it and it stayed with me for a long long time thankfully <laughs> and what did it feel like to finally get those rainbow stripes and for the listeners at home that's one of our coveted titles is the world championship it's a one-day race you've only got that one shot so what did that feel like when you finally got it well utterly amazing but also for me it was that biggest like i said earlier about the, the whole kind of like you achieve the relief it was just like thank goodness now <laughs> i can <laughs> retire now <laughs> but, but i had but i had this massive then it was like and now what i remember feeling that this like hole had appeared in my life and i was now thinking i've just spent the last 10 plus years like with this as my focus thinking about it you know almost every day probably and now it's like what am i going to do with my life you know there was suddenly there was nothing beyond that winning the world champs that was it you know and then suddenly there that's happened you have this like void of like well, what do I do now? And I remember that being the most overwhelming kind of feeling of just like, okay, what happens now? This was not planned, you know, having planned so much. But I think for me, even now, having had so much success with Enduro, you know, in such a short space of time, straight after the downhill, it's still that one day race, the world championship jersey, standing on the podium, putting that white jersey over your shoulders, listening to national anthem playing, nothing will ever, ever beat that moment. And even having, I think, in my mind, achieved more as an athlete in what I've achieved for the Enduro, for me, was probably more satisfying, if knowing what work went into it in terms of a whole World Cup, a whole series and preparation and planning, all that kind of stuff. There's so much more went in, I think, to a, the Enduro uh, wins. But for whatever reason, that one-day race, the pressure of downhill, the just, I think, having the rainbow jersey, for me, was was the biggest moment and yeah an amazing feeling i even see pictures now and i just think that was a cool moment you know it goes so fast but thankfully it'll always be there in my memory and transitioning to to enduro after downer you spoke about a relief and what would i do now what am i going to do with my life was that potentially what moved you to endure okay i've i've actually finally done it i can either retire and be feel pretty fulfilled now or i need a new challenge what was the decision there yeah i think 
I think those last couple of years before I won the world champs in downhill, I already started to have this feeling that I wanted more from my racing and my biking. You know, downhill was, it's awesome. It is that ultimate kind of, you know, challenge to put, pit yourself as fast as you can down one course, but it felt so limiting in the sense that it was just one racetrack. It was, you spent, you traveled the world for this three, four minutes worth of, of racetrack that you walked, you practiced, you knew every route and rock. And I was like, there's more out there. There's more trails than just this one. And I'd started, I'd met James. He was more of a cross country guy. We'd been riding so much more kind of normal trail biking. And I was like, there's so many more amazing trails on this hillside that we're at. I used to go to venues and just want to go off and ride other stuff. And we're starting to get bored of just going to the same racetrack every time. So the whole of the enduro thing kind of had been bubbling away, but I hadn't really quite realized that anything would ever come of it. There was never a plan for something beyond downhill, but I, I knew that I wanted to finish racing downhill. I was kind of, I'd, it's done its time. I'd achieved what I wanted to achieve. And I was ready for a, for a new chapter, a new challenge, and to do more with my bike than just those one race runs. Um, and I actually remember it was Anka Martin. So you're one of the, your fellow countrymen that you'll know well that actually said to me, he said, if you win Worlds, she says, you're going to race the Cape Epic with me. And I remember actually on that day in Mont St. Anne, she's like, right, we're going to the Cape Epic next year. And I was like, whoa. I guess I said I would. So that was, you know, seven day, actually maybe it was eight days then. I think it was seven days on a cross country bike doing hundreds of kilometers every day, you know, back to back days for someone who hated riding uphills only a few short years ago, it was like quite the undertaking, but that was the kind of stuff that I was, I was ready for. I wanted something different and we did it and it opened my eyes to uh, what was, I guess, the next stage of my career and what I was capable of doing and the challenges that I then kind of went on to enjoy. But yeah, that kind of, she was there at that time, was like, right, this is what you're going to do next. I was like, okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was cool. And, and what's it like shifting mentally to something like the Cape Epic, which is a seven-day stage race, which is, it's basically Tour de France distances, but for seven days off-road, it's grueling, it's horrible. What was that mental challenge like for you? And if you could maybe share something to the for the listener to help them if they're needing to get through challenges like that. Well, I guess at that point, I'd never ridden 150K in one go, and let alone on day five after you know doing 100 plus K for the four days before it. Um, I think for me, I love the fact that uh, it made me realize that if you put your mind to something, it's amazing what you can achieve. And your actual body, as long as you kept feeding, feeding that engine, and you kept turning those pedals, you, you could keep going. And it was it just really it really gave me a lesson on yeah strength of your mind and, and and desire for what you want to achieve and even to the point where I was had two pairs of chamois shorts on on one of the days because I had such a sore bottom from being on a saddle for hours that I've you know never done before and you know just we just ate and ate our way around I can't remember having you know multiple breakfasts and dinners but we did it and yeah we definitely were not the fastest out there but we completed it within the time and it was an amazing achievement something that I a few years before would have thought I'd never ever fancy doing that and yeah it was pretty grim at times pretty grim I mean were there times when you were like I want nothing to do with this I wish we could just stop now physically I guess there was times yeah I think but then that's the thing when you're doing it as a pair you if I was on my own it would be different but you're doing it with your with a partner and Anka had done it before she knew what she was getting into so that's like I had no idea I was just going with it yeah this sounds fun let's do it but you, you can't stop because you've got someone else there that's doing it with you. So that's the most amazing thing. And to share that with someone, and you know, that's something that Anchor and I will have forever, is that memory of the pain and the suffering that goes along and those the highs and the lows. And you're like, what are what am I doing? Whose idea was this? But that's that's what creates those memories and it gets you through it. And yeah, it was awesome. Really, really. I mean, it's not something I've rushed back to do since, I can assure you. But um I've done plenty more other painful and stupid things since. So I think it did set me set a precedent and has enabled me to to push myself further and do what I did in the enduro racing almost was a, a small stepping stone after kind of doing crazy stuff like that. And and talk to us a little bit about transitioning to enduro and obviously you wanted to do more riding and more variety, but the the mental challenge, what was the biggest mental challenge switching over to enduro from downhill? I think for me it was just I needed to get fit. Like that was the biggest thing. I mean, now I think you look at World Cup downhill and those guys are, you know, really serious athletes. I still feel like now my downhill days, even the 
certainly the last couple of years more so, but those early days, we were just having fun on bikes. There was not really any serious training going on. So I needed to, to be able to ride my bike, you know, multiple days back to back and just increase that level of fitness and increase that level of, you know, being in the hurt box. You could kind of do it for two or three minutes on a downhill, but not for like 12 minute stages of an enduro times by four or five times a day. Um, so my focus really was just to turn to, right, I'm going to learn to train as a cross country athlete. And I actually was fortunate enough to kind of join a lot of the British cycling cross country kind of program and did training camps with them and just immersed myself in, in that life for a, a winter and a, a kind of a summer. And that was an incredible experience to so learning for me to realize just how hard you can train, how hard you can push yourself and, and what you need to do and the, the discipline, the mentality that comes into it. And if you can do some horrendous sessions in training, then racing will seem like fun. And I think that was the biggest kind of learning block for me. Um, and once I'd got, got kind of into that mentality and actually riding my bike every day was what I did. Um, the racing was awesome fun. As long as you were fit enough, like to be able to go out and ride your bike on those early years of Endura were just amazing. You know, we were going to new venues. It was like being a kid in a candy store with trails everywhere. Just like everything was new. The whole format, whole distance was fun. It was changing every week. You know, it was just, yeah, a, a good time to be involved in Enduro because we got to ride bikes for hours, hours and hours. You know, there was no, like now it is just one practice run. You'd rock up two or three days before and try and ride the loop twice if we could. I'd be doing 50K, five hours a day for five days, you know, running into a world Enduro. It was just bike time. Um, yeah, awesome few first few years. And I think now it's become much more of a specialized kind of discipline. And again, everyone's training very specifically and it's it's changing up every year like like downhill. But those early days were just about, yeah, exploring bikes and, and riding as much as I could and riding different places and loving it. So it sounds like there was less pressure at the top of an enduro stage, granted that there were, say, five to seven a day or whatever versus downhill where you knew you've got one shot, even though you've done all the work in the qualifying, you've got one shot. But enduro, would you say there's potentially a little bit less pressure feeling it like dropping into stages? I definitely felt that because you knew that there was so much more, like opportunity for error therefore opportunity to make that up as well you know you could afford no one's going to have a perfect you know you're racing for sometimes an hour hour and a half two hours maybe of race time you can't get every bit perfect and you can't remember it if you've ridden it once you know um so there's always going to be people making mistakes and there's always places where if you're strong you could got a two minute climb you could sit there and give it more beans than someone else and put in a few seconds so there was so much more room to kind of play with i felt with enduro and and it was a more maybe not so much more social but the fact that you were out with your competitors kind of riding up the hill chatting about the day enjoying the local food stops you know it, it almost didn't feel like racing even though when I got in that start line I wanted to win I still had that mentality but it didn't feel like that all day long it was just a fun day out on the bikes just yeah I really for me it was my perfect format I had the adventure feel I also had a technical challenge and I really had the downhill, which was my fun bit. I always wanted to go fast. I could downhill, but I didn't have that kind of pressure of, of that one race run. It was just, it was for me, I feel like it was the discipline that suited me the best. And that's maybe why I was so, so, so successful at it. Um, I felt like I was better at enduro than I ever was at downhill. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a really, really awesome few years of, of racing that sport at the beginning. Yeah, you are absolutely dominant in that. It actually makes me think maybe a rider that feels they can't quite hack it, you know, down or the pressure gets them. And I think some of that is natural. You can learn a lot of mental tricks and, and ability, but maybe that's something to think about when choosing disciplines on, on how you fare when the pressure is really on you on one run versus, okay, you've got the whole day to show your skill. You can make a mistake and maybe make up for it. Yeah, I also think I, I never was able to fully... 100% commit to like going as fast as I could. There's always a slight self-preservation factor that set in <laughs> with me. And I, I, again, I think it's just my personality. I'm a little bit of a control freak. So it's wanting to be in control. I was never a huge big, didn't skid run every corner. I like to be in control of my bike. And when it got a bit sideways and a bit sketchy, I was like, Ooh, I'm not sure I like this. Yeah. So as much as I love going fast, I like to feel like I was safe with that. And I think with downhill, you, certainly now you've, <laughs> yeah. got to be, you've got to get a bit wild if you want to win a downhill race these days yeah i think um, we're glad we're sitting here talking to each other and not having to prepare for a downhill season 
Yeah. And I think I struggled always with that. Whereas with enduro, I never felt like I had to ride at hundred percent. I could always ride at, you know, 85, 90 and have a little bit in reserve if I needed to push or, you know, ease back if I didn't have to. And I liked, I, I liked that feeling a lot more than like knowing I was about to risk life and limb <laughs> for the next three minutes. <laughs> so after a dominant performance in enduro world series, um, can you talk to me about hanging up the boots or retiring or mo- moving on and, and that mental challenge? Because I don't think many people speak about it. it. It looks good from the outside. Often there's careers in the industry and you're an ambassador and I can speak about myself as well. But it, it's a mental battle day to day almost of, of, let's say, losing that identity, even though that's a false way of looking at it. But when you're racing, that's your identity. You're a racer. Do you think you ever do? <laughs> what, lose, what, lose? Or like retire. Like I think. Yeah. Okay, speak about that, yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's, um, no, it, it, you're, you're to- so true. I think it's one of the hardest things to do. And I have days even now being a mum, trying to do a little bit of training to come back and race the EWS e-bike series thing this year, if it ever happens. Like that's my plan. And, and I still battle with it even now to feel like, that wants I want to have that focus I want to be able to like focus on my training and be the best I can be when the reality is like I've got a two-year-old that's like up at 5 30 I need to be with who's that's my focus but there's a tiny piece of me that still craves that misses it and I think that's it's you know James my husband will say that I'm still that kind of I still have those tinges of like frustration that I can't be that professional athlete for the rest of my life you know because that's it was amazing I loved it and I think everyone struggles with that. I think you're right. No one really speaks about it. Um, and I think I'm super fortunate that for me, it's it's only glimmers of it. And I have an amazing, fulfilling life doing work within the industry. I still get to ride my bike. I still have loads of fun working and riding with young riders. I've got a young family. I've got so much other stuff that fills my time. But I would be lying if I said there wasn't some small little inkling there that still kind of wishes I could be out there you know contesting and and pushing the limit of the girls that are racing and winning races now you know it's it's still there it's still ingrained in me and I don't think it would ever go um I just it becomes more of a reality when I go out with them and I'm like struggling and huffing and puffing at the back of the group that I'm like it's a, it's a long way off those dreams now um and it's getting further and further away but there's definitely still something there and I think that's that little thing is what made what makes those people was made us successful has made me successful as, a, as an athlete I had that burning desire that's kind of will always be there and I, I in some ways I hope it will because it's it is part of me and who I am and it it definitely molds how I live my life now in, in certain ways and in, in a good way as well as a bad way sometimes and can you uh, share some insights into how you take what you've learned in racing or attitude or or mentalness into let's call it everyday life, not normal life. I mean, there's nothing extraordinary about a sport. They just focus on that, but that'd be lovely to hear. I think, I guess a little bit, the main thing for me is that like the whole preparation thing and just kind of having, I still work on like having lists, having goals, even if it's like just job lists to do in the house. And like, it's a, it's a positive, but it's also a negative that I think I, I do struggle to be able to kind of switch off from that. And like, even now, like I'm used to having, you know, my year planned with racing, you know, where you are every weekend. And actually this whole lockdown thing's been, I've actually been okay with it. I think most of the time, because suddenly it's like, I've had three months where I've got nothing in my diary. It's like, someone said to me, are you okay for this podcast? Yeah, whatever. When do you want to do it? Like there's, I've never had that in my life. So my normal kind of approach is always that methodical, like making good use of your time, just being organized with like, if I'm going to ride tomorrow, I need to prep stuff the the night before. So I've got that bag packed. I've got this done. I've this time, you know, just time management stuff I think is, is key to be able to achieve what you want to do each day. Um, but also being trying to be realistic with it. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely changes. And I think these last few months have for me have actually been a positive in that respect because it's, I've had to stop. It's the first time I've ever been home for, you know, April, May, June, probably the same for you and for every other kind of sports person out there. And it's hard to adjust, but it's good for us. Otherwise we just get stuck in that same kind of trap, but it's actually been nice to kind of appreciate not having a diary that's full and being able to take a step back a little bit. Um, I was going to say, I feel like sometimes filling the time is just ignoring the void of not racing and, and keeping busy. I do the same. I, have about 14 projects on the go and then I still want to go and ride and and all that but you had a a brilliant thing I think that someone can learn from is the preparation and if you're going to go do something tomorrow you're still going to get it organized 
today. So that helps, you know, time management. But I also think there's more accountability. Say someone wants to go training or needs to go training. He's put his stuff out. You know, when he sees it the next day, he realizes, hey, I've made a decision yesterday to go training. And, and I think you've always had a training program. So have I. And maybe that's why sportsmen do achieve certain things and high achieving businessmen. They've set goals. They've set a timeline. They have life coaches. We had coaches. Like you're accountable. If you don't go training, yeah, your yeah. coach is going to phone you and say, did you actually go training? Because now your numbers don't look good the rest of the week. Or did you train too much? So there's a level of accountability I think you take in to, to uh, the next phase of life, shall we call it. Definitely. And I think having, like even now, having I've, to not have a goal to, to train for or to get fit for, whatever it could be. You know, it could be like learning to play an instrument. I have always needed to have like some date, end point, challenge, whatever it may be, to give me direction, focus, and like you're right, to get you up in that morning and go and do that training. And and even now, like having said that, I'll race a couple of the EWSs. I've got something now that's like I've said I'm going to do it in the autumn. If if it happens, we'll see. But having having had that has made me so much more like accountable to myself to like right I need to get out there and make sure I do that um and that for me has always been a, a super important thing to have I need I need a goal I need a goal to be able to kind of give me direction <clears throat> um I think that's important for everyone that's brilliant so you're even doing that now and 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 speak a bit about uh transitioning from sport which we've spoken about but to to motherhood and and that's sort of a challenge because it, it really fascinates I think the everyday person who's trying to also train for whatever race they've put in the calendar and maybe not at a pro level, but they're also, it's a juggling act. Oh, it's a, it's a massive juggling act. And, um, and I think there's, there's good qualities that certainly I've got in terms of like trying to plan and, and timekeep and, and make sure I'm planning food and snacks and I'm pretty regimented with like our day in some ways. And yet I'm also quite flexible. Like I've now we've got into a good routine and I think people talk about, you know, having those routines and whether they're good or bad. And for me as an athlete, it, it kind of, it was always going to be, I guess there's going to be some routine in there just because that's how I've, I've worked. But for, it works. I do think it does work because I kind of, you know what to expect. I'm always like planning to have a call at this time or I'm going to go walk at this time and meeting up with friends through this. It's quite organized. Whereas some people are just happy just to like let the day kind of go and see what happens. And I think, I think Toby's better off for it because he he kind of knows what to expect as well. Um, but it's there's also that bad aspect that sometimes like he might just want to play in his sandpit for another ten minutes, and I'm like, no, you know, we've got to go. It's ten thirty. We've got to be at we've got to be at this class. And um, so there's good there's good and bads. And I sometimes worry that I'm, you know, we're dragging him around with all the stuff that we want to do, and he spent like age three months to six months in you know, the first six months of his life, half that he spent in the camper van in Europe. And people are like, oh my word, what are you thinking? But he knows no different. He had a great time. He spent, you know, got to eat pretty much before he was supposed to eat food. He had pizza in uh, Italy and some ice cream in Italy. And he he just came with us. And he's that's been our kind of ethos that Toby is part of our life. And, you know, we're going to continue to enjoy our life and for him to enjoy it too. And I think as long as he's getting all of our attention we're doing fun stuff with him i can't think he's going to hate us too much for it um, no he's got a pretty cool life experience he's already ticked a few bucket list things like pizza in italy that some people don't even get to do that and exactly. and, and have you been able to stop and play with him when you say okay he's in the sandbox and you think well we've said we're going to be there at 10 30 he knows no different nor does he care have you been able to stop and go maybe this is the universe telling me to slow down and play sometimes I struggle with it and that would be one thing that I'm like that's why James and I are such a good combination because James is like the full autonomous just go with the flow does stuff as if, as and when and I've been the one that's kind of taken him swimming we've done the the sing and sign classes we've kind of done the more structured stuff but that's what I bring to Toby in our relationship I guess and thankfully James is the rolling around in the garden fighting with daddy kind of dad so I think thankfully we've got a balance between the two of us but there is there is also times when I have to catch myself and think okay do you know what it doesn't matter if we don't do this thing at 10 30 because actually now is the most important thing just to play and play in the sandpit so I it doesn't come naturally if I'm 100% honest but I'm also fully aware of it and I do have to sometimes just like remind myself that actually it's fun to play and actually the list will wait so uh i'm being i'm being honest there and I, yeah we you definitely we all have good qualities and i'm still learning and it's 
I would say being a mum has probably been a harder challenge than anything I've ever had before because it's not I'm not in control and that's always been the thing that I've had up till now it's been me that selfishness what I want to do and now it's it's not it's completely reversed and um I'm loving it because it is taking me out of my comfort zone and making me do something that is not the norm for me um and it's good for me. I think it'll make me a better person from the experience for sure. That's a brilliant way of looking at it. And I have heard parents quote that, that it's your life is not under your control anymore because if you have to be at a lunch date at one or whatever it is, even school at X, if the kid decides he's not going out the door or he's throwing a tantrum, you can't always control a lot of those things. It's a fascinating way to, to look at it. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's definitely been a challenging even now, like trying to get back to some form of training. It's certainly nothing like I ever was or would be, but I still like, I fight with it because it's like, I'm not, I'm not resting. I'm not doing all the things I know I should be doing and I have done in the past. And therefore no wonder I'm not feeling much better on my bike because, but I can't change it. So it's, it's being able to also be real with it and just accept the fact that, you know what, I'm still getting out and riding my bike and I've got a cool kid life's good you know being appreciative is it humbling in a, on a certain level because i know after lockdown a while ago i went for a ride and i was pretty surprised that i was at, not only at the back of the pack i actually got dropped that first day back and i was like i don't think i've ever felt this unfit you know and normally it's just so naturally and it was it was something different it was it was cool it was like a new challenge like oh i actually have to ride to stay as fit as i was I wouldn't say I had the same experience last week when I went out with like the Annie Last, Hattie, uh, Matt Walker, like a, the proper pro guys in the UK. First kind of group ride that we did. And I was like, wow, I used to be able to just this used to be not easy, but it would just be normal. I was so dead. And I wouldn't say that I was like, it wasn't fun. <laughs> it was far from fun. But it was also just, you know what, this is this is life. This is where it's at. And it's it's now going to be harder than ever to get fit. And I'm finding at the moment it's, it's the hardest I've ever had to work to get a bit of fitness back, which is rubbish, if I'm honest. But I'm also being realistic that I'm now over 40 and this isn't my job. So you, you can't expect to be there. Um, and yeah, it's just a process now. Yeah, it just shows you how much you actually did, what work you did put in to feel like a ride was easy. And for anyone at home, that nothing comes without without work, you know. So no, I, I only now really appreciate how fit I was. I like I look back now on those, I think twenty fourteen of World Enduro, and I remember people at the time saying, "Wow, you're so strong! Like, there's no way we can beat when you beat beat you on this stage because it's all it's pedaling or whatever." And I'm like whatever you know I just it was just normal I used to do a race and then I still want to go for a ride and now I just think oh my word like <laughs> yeah I was pretty fit <laughs> so uh, those days I don't think I'll ever see again but they were good when they were there <laughs> yeah definitely Trace um we, we we spoke about the the brilliant world champs winning uh, race run and that led me to thinking about some untold stories which we shared before we came on air and I'm trying to set a good example but that one I think we might have to tell because it was celebrating something you'd worked your whole life for. So is that one of the stories that is a good untold stories? Yeah, I think so. So I think I touched on it slightly about the fact that I'm a an intrinsic celebrator and like I wouldn't necessarily go out there and shout the rooftops when I'd succeeded and done well at something. And this was a classic. Um, I won the World Champs in obviously Mont St. Anne. And uh, I think it was the following day we were, we were traveling to a race afterwards. We were kind of like, day after the race it's always a bit of a down day it's like now what we're stuck in a you know the same accommodation it's like a bit of a no, nothing day and uh you guys decided to go down to the supermarket and came back with these like big cans big cans hey like like a liter or something or maybe more yeah some horrendous at least like, 750 mil yeah yeah it's canadian beer was it even beer i don't know what it was some 10.1 that's all i remember it was called 10.1 percent i'm guessing of alcohol whatever that was and literally within half an hour of you guys coming back from the supermarket I remember getting a knock on the door and like you were all obliterated utterly obliterated and was it then actually James said what on earth are they drinking I need to get some and then went and basically got some himself and then played catch up and within 
10 minutes it felt like he was on the floor as well and I was just like what on earth have you guys been drinking and it was messy that's all I can say it was messy and it wasn't just you no it wasn't just me but it was us wanting to celebrate for you because you we didn't do we did celebrate it wasn't the biggest celebration we thought this was quite a big achievement and yeah at the supermarket we thought oh we'd get Trace some beer and it said 10.1 percent on it was called 10.1 percent beer so as idiots we thought that'd be a good idea and uh Turns out they were re- they were really strong, and you were smart enough not to indulge. And we had a few here and there because it was off season for us. That was the last important race of the year. And turns out, yeah, most of your teammates and your husband couldn't really hold their their liquor too well, and it yeah lasted about thirty minutes to an hour. It was just poison, I guess. And then you were all pa- pa- passed out asleep for the rest of the day. So yeah, yeah, it was was pretty monumental and even now today james will speak about that um that after and i think you guys actually did a pretty awesome job of celebrating for me because that was definitely celebration in some style i've never seen anyone get so drunk so fast and be so ill so quickly it was impressive definitely have you got any untold stories that come to mind early days or on the way to a race or afterwards or something crazy happening before a race um I've always I've got some fond and probably crazy memories of my first kind of US um trips that I did when I was would have been 18 I think so not able to drive in the US and I traveled with Will Longdon and Scott Beaumont and Will was um I don't think Will will mind me telling this story let's hope not he uh, he was like the um responsible adult I guess and we traveled with him and I remember driving up to Big Bear I think to race one of the Norbers and he well, there's a few incidents actually. We ended up like pretty much going onto a highway the wrong way about 100 miles an hour. I don't know how because Will was pretty wild in his car. He, he also got one hire car stuck like on a flyabout outside a condo at, in Big Bear. And then another one was turning across a load of traffic, just like completely totaling the car. No one got hurt. So it was not a desperate, it was like a slow move. He saw a McDonald's or an In N Out burger or something and just was like, I need food and just went rah straight across, didn't even look and just took the car out that was on the inside lane. And I just have memories of those first few years going to the US were just wild, like good times. How he ever still had an account with budget rental cars, I will never know because it was always, um, yeah, always a fun filled trip. Even to spending a night, I remember going to Durango the road was shut because they were doing some like huge big quarrying. So we ended up having to sleep in the car for the whole night because the, the road was shut for the, for the night because they were roadworks and just those early days were just epic. I mean, you'll know from the, they were fun, weren't they? And everything's so new. And I guess it's like, Will being lads on tour in, in America because it's this big, crazy place. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've got some amazing memories of those times. And, um, yeah, again, just I don't think stuff like that happens these days. It's like kids get into the sport young. It's become so professional. It's become so, I guess, structured, serious. I don't think you kind of – it's not quite like being on holiday like it kind of was when you were 18 and let loose in America. So, yeah, some good some good memories and certainly will um, – yeah, those those will stay with me for a while, that's for sure. But, Trace, you've been so good with your time and I don't want to take too much – up of it but um some parting words or some inspiration to youngsters out there knowing that you say the sport has changing and it's more serious what would you what would you leave the listener with i think the most important thing is that you need to be you need to feel like you're always kind of true to yourself and true to what you want to achieve in the sport or in, in your life and i think it's really important that nothing nothing does come easy and you need to be prepared to to put the work in you know, to, to, to really work hard, the more you work hard, the more you, the more you graft, the more respect you'll get from, from everyone around you. And I think just, yeah, just try and be, be a good person and, and most of all, enjoy it, what you're doing. There's no point in putting that hard work in if, if it's not fun at the end of the day and the more fun that you have, the, the better you'll ride your bikes. That's definitely the, one of the biggest important factors, I think. Well, that's awesome. I think I'm going to take some of that advice uh, moving forward. And where can the listener follow along on on Instagram? Is that a good place to see what you're up to with your ambassadorship, some racing, some of the coaching? Yeah, so I've got um, uh, Tracy Mosley on Instagram. I've also got a, a Timo Racing. So Timo Racing is like my kind of little grassroots, super low-key, local um, race program where I, I'm sponsoring like four young uh, riders in the UK. 
um yeah and my kind of still following working with trek with some of the teams the the world cup downhill xc and enduro teams so i'm still be working with those guys so you'll get a little insight as to kind of what goes on at that level and my involvement with with those guys as like an athlete liaison and kind of just a mentor when when needed so all sorts of fun stuff but yeah you'll find me a little bit on social media not as much as i should be <laughs> but i try to keep a little bit up there no well i think they they're lucky to have you part and and uh, an inspiration to many while you were racing and now as well and especially in uh, the correct terminology i think to uh females and women races out there to to really focus on yourself and and the sky's the limit so thanks so much for your time tracy you're welcome really good to see you and thanks for having me and a big thank you to tracy again for coming on the show what a true ambassador for the sport she's so humble with what she achieved and you know what i think she's a great role model to the youngsters coming up some key takeaways are goal setting preparation and I think focusing on yourself and not worrying about the rest of the pack. So thanks again. Guys, please rate, review, subscribe. You know what to do out there on those podcast platforms. I really appreciate that. Till the next time, stay well.